Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. More than 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. And knowing we can rely on regular monthly gifts takes some guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you are invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. But what is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia with the gospel. To become a Visionary Extra Mile partner, click the banner in the Vision app or go to vision.org.au slash extra mile. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. It's our opportunity today to have a special preview to what's coming up this year as Dr. Camille Magdaly plans another Australian tour. He'll be taking things deeper, making sense of, you know, issues around developments with the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, or the fallout over the plans to overturn Roe versus Wade in the US. What about Elon Musk and free speech on Twitter? Or the latest developments in the culture war. Lots of things to talk about. And it's very good news for listeners who've had the opportunity to connect with Dr. Camille Magdaly. He'll be back in Australia during September and October for his eighth Understanding the Times national tour. It's going to be called Turning the Corner, Bringing Clarity in Confusing Times. Now, a lot of listeners have experienced what we might describe as a prophetic voice for our times and the dynamic insights that help believers become future ready. Well, this year, the tour will be both online and in person, but a preview today with Dr. Camille Magdaly, who leads Teach All Nations. He's joining us live from the UK, where right now it's about 1.30 in the morning. So, Dr. Camille Magdaly, thank you for staying up late for us. Welcome along. My pleasure, Neil, and God bless Australia. (laughs) Camille, you're up late, and it's summertime in the UK. In fact, there's pretty significant celebrations that are going on right now with the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. and You're only about an hour or a bit from Heathrow Airport, so you're really quite right in the middle of the action there. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that today is the beginning of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebration. Today is a bank holiday. Now, normally they have bank holidays in the first Monday and the third, uh, fourth Monday of May, as well as, I believe, in August. But they've moved the bank holiday to Thursday so they can have a four-day long weekend. Not unlike Australia's Queen's Birthday, which is an annual event. This, of course, is a -a once-in-a-lifetime In fact, once in history event, never has there been a monarch in the United Kingdom that has reigned for 70 years. The Queen isn't the longest reigning monarch. Apparently, Louis XIV was longer, 72 years. But she's really up there in the Guinness Book of Records for longevity, as well as for other accomplishments, too. 
So I am seeing the bunting coming out with the Union Jack. If you have photos of the Queen herself. So this is the most patriotic I have ever seen in the United Kingdom. Okay, patriotic in the UK. Uh, we've got a change of government in Australia and uh, almost a manoeuvring towards the thought of Republican uh, uh, positioning. Uh, there's a bit of a different feel that perhaps would be developing here in Australia. I'm not sure if you've been following uh, developments and the sorts of thoughts that have come out uh, just since the election here, but uh, but certainly... Uh, there's a real honour for the monarchy in the UK. Uh, other nations around the world might be uh, having a few extra different thoughts, particularly, and everyone loves uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, but not everybody loves Charles. Uh, so any thoughts there for, uh, you know, for how things might go in the next little while? Well, I well remember the referendum of 1999 in Australia with the deciding whether to keep the crown in the constitution or not and yeah the, it is interesting that the new albanese government i think has already now appointed a minister of the republic or for the republic i i've heard from fairly reliable sources yeah. so yeah they've been in office very short time but highly energetic i will say that for this new government having said that People have to remember that ultimately, it's not the politicians who decide our constitutional arrangements. It's the Australian people. And that was wisely put in our constitution of 1901. And that's why there was a referendum, because that change cannot be made without the consent of the people. The crown is there by the consent of the people and can only be removed by the consent of the people. So that's one of the checks and balances that we have here in Australia. Well, there's much to be lost if we were to lose the monarchy as our our head of state in that sense. But there's certainly a lot of developments and a lot of things that are coming over the over the next three years. I think it's a matter of strap yourself in because it could be a rocky ride. Hey, turning the corner. Bringing clarity in confusing times. Uh, it's full steam ahead for an Understanding the Times tour. The last couple of years, you've had some online events, but not been able to be here on the ground in person because of COVID. You must be pretty excited about being able to come back in person, Camille. Of course, I have a lot of valuable friends and contacts throughout the country, and I look forward to connecting with them during this period. But uh, yes, it's, it's wonderful that Vision wanted Understanding the Times to continue even during lockdown. So because of that, we did, and I'm glad. But yes, it'll be good to be in person and to offer a hybrid this time where there will be an online event as well as the in-person. So online event is for everybody, including those outside of Australia the in-person event for people locally and not so locally because we've known people to drive for hours just to be in the meeting. And then we'll have a, a an event, a deep dive, and that will be available too after the main tour. That's for people who want to go further than what they're going to get in an hour to an hour and a quarter. The theme for the Understanding the Times tour this year turning the corner, bringing clarity in confusing times. Now, 
there's a catch-all in that turning the corner, but it's got a optimistic feel about it as well. How are you seeing uh, that title, that theme uh, for the Understanding the Times tour? What's that uh, meaningful for listeners who are who are thinking about the sorts of things we'll be talking about today and that you'll be talking about on the tour? Well, the last two years have been very, very difficult, I believe, for everybody. Indeed, could be arguably the most difficult time in living memory, or at least recent living memory, and we're still not sure all that is transpiring. One of the things that we seem to overlook is that if things have been intensive on Earth, they're even more intensive in the heavens. In other words, heavy-duty spiritual warfare. And the reason is, I believe the Lord is coming back. Now, I'm not day-setting. Please hear me out right now. But the point is, reads the second psalm. The earth and earthly rulers come in a tizzy because the Lord and his anointed are making ready to move in. In other words, a great shaking to remove the temporal kingdoms in order to make room for God's kingdom, as Hebrews 12 tells us. So therefore, I believe that despite all the bad news, there is actually a lot of good news too. It's the very nature of the last days where the bad becomes worse and the good becomes better and more righteous. They work in tandem. Therefore, what we see is uh, the turning the corner is both a reality. We, there is anecdotal evidence that there's revival breaking out. There's pushback against trends that are tyrannical. And yet, at the same time, we believe there's something we can all do to make a difference in this day and age. We're not, as believers in Christ, with the full armor of God, we're not helpless pawns that just have to sit there and be tossed to and fro like the waves. We can make a difference, and everyday believers are doing precisely that. It's these kind of things with the current issues of the day that we'll explore in a way that I trust will bring insight for now and hope for tomorrow. Those current issues of the day and connecting those with the Scriptures. Now, you're a Bible teacher, Camille. And people, uh, they'll probably fall into one of two camps. Uh, Of course, uh, when we talk about a a glass half full or a glass half empty, some people will see some optimism for the future. Others will be pessimistic about the future. But it doesn't matter which side you're on. You somehow or other have to keep God and his purposes right at the center of your life. And uh, this is what a Bible teacher has a wonderful gift to be able to do. So uh, as the Bible teacher, and you're going to be bringing insights around these current events that are happening, but connecting the scriptures to those, uh, how do you see that uh, You know, being so important for believers, just keeping themselves uh, on the straight and narrow, keeping God's purposes at the center of who they are? Well, the ultimate goal of understanding the times, and this is the eighth year that we have offered this tour. Thank God for the partnership with Vision. But the ultimate goal is to inspire people to invest in their spiritual lives. Because at the end of the day, that is the thing that matters more than anything else. Absolutely anything else. More than financial health, more than job viability, more than 
family uh, intact, and that's that's incredibly important. But our personal spiritual lives are the key between blessing and cursing, life and death, light and darkness. And therefore, this is not a time to live half-hearted, double-minded, world-loving, world-hugging, shall we say, uh, lives, but to instead live a life for God, not a religious life, but a spiritually dynamic life based on God's Word. So, yes, that's what we want to do. But also, remember, it's called Understanding the Times. This is from First Chronicles 12.32, that the children of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I've discovered, Neil, that when people know what is going on and why it's going on, then the Holy Spirit will download to them what they need to do. And I believe you get enough people in that case, then we can see society turn the corner and get out of confusion into clarity, purpose, and constructiveness in the days ahead. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. You might have a thought, a question, or a comment. Dr. Camille Majdali is our special guest. We're talking about a bit of a preview to the Understanding the Times tour, but uh, you can help direct where our conversation goes on 1-800-316-316. Camille, let's stay with the Platinum Jubilee for a few moments because this is something that will be impacting us here in Australia as things develop. Such wonderful adulation for uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, But coming back to those thoughts we began to share just a little earlier, not everybody's as confident with Charles. Uh, What are your thoughts for what's coming beyond the Platinum Jubilee? And everyone will wish the Queen a long life. Uh, but everyone knows that sometime that will come to an end and Charles will take over. What are your thoughts for what's coming? Okay, that's a fair question. Of course, today is the beginning of the Platinum Jubilee, and it will be a grand affair. The only kind of curious question is, what is it going to be like with Harry and Meghan showing up? Apparently, they won't be on the balcony, which I know might disappoint some, but not others. But that's that's rather trite compared to the bigger question of the succession. And yes, I want to say that what I have observed, yes, it's true. The Queen is much loved. I mean, she's the only person anyone who's known as Queen, probably in their lifetimes, in most cases. There's a lot of elderly people who do remember George the Sixth. <laughs> and maybe even Edward the Eighth, But uh, yeah, most of them have only known the Queen. And that doesn't just apply to Britain. It does apply to Australia too. The day she became Queen in Britain, she became Queen in Australia. In fact, that is her legal status, is she's not the Queen of Britain. She's legally the Queen of Australia. But getting to Charles, it, it's true that he's not uh, commanding the warmth and the respect in the same way his mother, and that we won't rehash all the history here. But what I've discovered is there's something about the crown, be it a monarch or a governor general, that it is such a, an ancient institution and such a 
very rich one as well, that once someone steps into that position, again, be it governor general or monarch, they really adapt quickly and they do their duty. Now, they may not do it with the same consistency and scandal-free aura that the queen has. I mean, she hasn't put a foot out of place in 70 years. That is a remarkable record. But they will behave. I still remember some of the governor generals we've had in Australia where uh, I'm thinking of one in particular who was, was an outright politician, is appointed to the apolitical vice-regal role, and then during their tenure, they literally did their duty. You never heard a peep out of them in any partisan politics. They were amazing. It's only at the end they started to spout off a few things here or there. And even though Charles has been probably exceptionally outspoken on issues of the day, whether it's architecture or green things and climate change. But I do suspect that once he is seated on the throne, he will pretty much behave the way you would expect a monarch to behave. That's just the nature of the institution. There's a plan, as I understand it, uh, where the Queen and Prince Charles and Prince William and Prince George will all be on the balcony together and uh, all of the succession plan in place for a long future for the monarchy. Uh, Of course, it is a major PR exercise, isn't it? Because the monarchy has to work very, very hard uh, to keep its place. But there's a certain sense in which it brings a a solidity to the uh, the nation uh, in in the UK, doesn't it? Uh, There's something very powerful and substantial about the monarchy, which uh, they're seeing. And uh, we have our doubts about sometimes in Australia, but that's certainly a part of who they are, their identity as a nation well it is the identity for the nation but it is interesting for me to compare the role of the monarchy here in the united kingdom with that which i have come to know in australia and it does actually work very similarly in australia of course the monarch is uh, how should we say offshore (laughs) so she's not nearby but then we get all the same benefits through the governor general who always is an Australian, who always is a qualified and respected individual, as far as what I recall, and continues to be that case. But it's still doing the same function of representing values, institutions, conventions, reserve powers. All of this is important for stable, smooth governance of a country, plus symbolic of our history and heritage and And one of the greatest potent things, and that's where a push for a republic shows its teeth, is that it will give more political power to politicians. Now, they do need power to do their job, but the point is we also learn through history that there has to be separation of powers and balance of powers. And the purpose of the crown in the Constitution, especially in Australia, is that It separates the powers and denies absolute power to any other branch of government, to the executive, to the judiciary, to the legislative, and that's good. Also to the military. This separation of powers is vital for democracy and freedom to continue on and to keep power-hungry people at bay. 
Interestingly, when we talk monarchy and king or queen, what we're talking about here originally is a biblical concept. And as you describe, separation of power or the way that you might have God who is above the rulers. So the ultimate ruler is God. Very powerful insight and impact that you have in that imagery. Perhaps a lot of people see a monarchy as more of a fairy tale type of a monarchy and some people might even think of the kingdom of God even in the sense of you know a Disney fairy tale castle but uh, there's a very different sense isn't there I suspect when you talk a biblical foundation for a kingdom uh, the kingdom of God and how that functions even to our benefit here on earth these are powerful concepts to consider when you're talking about a monarchy well one of the first things I read when I studied up on the issue, because I really took the referendum of 1999 seriously, is someone put it this way, that the crown represents the sovereignty of God. Now, that's no small claim. What do they mean? It means that with all the political actors we have today, when you know there's a crown, there is a power that has been invested by the people, because it's a constitutional thing by consent, but the crown represents a power beyond politics. And that's part of the genius of the the system of the constitutional monarchy, is that the head of state is beyond politics and therefore can represent everyone and represents a power to whom the political class is ultimately accountable. The crown actually is meant to represent the people, but it is the symbol of that representation. And so it's like everything else in life. When you are accountable, you tend to be better behaved than when you're unaccountable. It's like uh, the notorious phrase that Bill Clinton used when asked why he had the affair with Monica Lewinsky that nearly brought down his presidency. He was asked, why did he do it? And he said, because I could. Well, when you have a crown, you can't. (laughs) There will be checks and balances on your exercising of power. Now, that may be called into question with the lockdown mania that Australia has the reputation of the last year, but I still think the principle holds true. There are still checks and balances, and as long as those are functioning, we will continue to have stability and freedom in the days ahead. Some will argue one of the best things that we inherited from the British is our form of government. And uh, there is this sense in which there is hierarchy and there is a godly presence there. And so the Queen Camille is a godly woman. She is a woman of faith. In fact, she is a defender of the faith. Uh, So far as the Church of England goes, I think uh, there's even a headship role that she plays in that. Uh, Any thoughts here around what might change uh, with Charles in charge? Because uh, he doesn't appear to have the same godliness as his mother. Well, the the fact is that Elizabeth II would be a tough act to follow for anybody, let alone just Charles himself. I think, look, only God knows the heart. And yes, it's, it's interesting that... Elizabeth II has been very unblemished and very, very 
committed to her faith. It's becoming more and more obvious to me as I watch. And very consistent. That's one of her many (laughs) laudable traits is she's the same woman she's always been. She's doing the same thing she's always done. She isn't haphazard all over the place. And she does her duty. It's, it's remarkable. But Charles, years ago he made a comment that he wanted to be not just defender of the faith, meaning the Christian faith, but defender of faith. And, of course, he's speaking to a multi-ethnic polity here in the UK, just like we have in Australia. And so he th- thought he was saying the right thing. Now, what that actually translates into when he takes the throne, and of course, that's on the assumption he does take it, either he could have a premature death, but mind you, think about it, the queen took the throne when she was 25, Charles is already heading into his mid-70s, when most people are <laughs> hanging up their hats, what is he, and now what, he's going to take the throne in his mid-70s, well, I believe he's determined to do that, but look, he, he may find himself drawing closer to God, when the actual yoke of rule, or actually reigning, takes upon his shoulders in the coming days. He might feel very drawn to the Almighty then, but it remains to be seen. I think he is worth praying about. And can I just make a point here? Camilla, it's the Queen's wish that she become Queen in her stead, and that's going to be very uh, overwhelming especially because she's going to bear the title of somebody who was beloved and on the throne for 70 years. But Camilla has, as far as I can tell, no legal status in Australia. The one person that has a legal status is the monarch, not the consort. So okay. I think that's rather important, too, because people think they're getting two for the price of one. Not not in Australia. Camille, let's move a conversation here. One of the big issues, undoubtedly, will still be a very live issue when the Understanding the Times tour starts, and that will be the potential that is really, truly there in the United States for the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision. It's a 50-year-old decision. A possible change could have major ramifications for the way people see the issue of abortion and taking a pro-life stance. You've been following the developments that have been going on. How significant is this uh, for the whole world if that proceeds and there is an overturning of Roe versus Wade? Well, I can't stress enough, it is a massively big development. It's not just a development in regard to abortion. It's also a very important development in regard to constitutional government. Because the argument is, and I agree with this totally, I actually was at the University of Melbourne, (laughs) and I did a paper on Roe versus Wade. And when I finished the paper, I was almost irate at what I saw was a usurping of constitutional roles by the courts. Courts are not there to make laws. Courts are there to interpret laws. Only the legislative branch of government makes the laws, not the president and not the courts. It is the legislature, or in America's case, the Congress. And in an issue like abortion, which of course is not mentioned in the Constitution, But I'll tell you what is mentioned in the U.S. Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or 
the government is there constitutionally to protect life, not take it away. Anytime there's an issue that's not enumerated in a constitution, then that's up for the states to decide, not the federal government, not the president, and certainly not the courts. But that's what happened with Roe versus Wade. The issue of abortion was being dealt with at a state level, all 50 U.S. states, and then in 1973, seven justices out of nine decided to basically legislate from the bench and say, this is the way the abortion debates can be handled. Now, in 1973, they said Roe was a compromise, that abortion would be legal for the first trimester, but after the first trimester, the states can get involved in protecting what they called a potential life. So they said it was a compromise, but in practice, it had become a free-for-all of abortion at any time in the pregnancy up to birth. Now, every place is different, but the fact is, I believe Roe versus Wade was the official sounding of the gong for the start of the culture wars. It didn't resolve anything. In fact, it heated up the whole issue on a range of issues beyond abortion. So I do understand that part of the reason for the abortion is that feminism, which was having a, how should I say, a great resurgence in the 70s, was saying they don't want to be basically beholden to the patriarchy by being forced to stay pregnant when that could adversely affect their lives. That's been part of the argument, but the fact is it's, it's not just human autonomy. There's somebody else involved. There's the, the child in the womb, and the child in the womb is not just of interest to the person who's bearing the child and to the person who's fathered the child, but it's also to the whole community. If we can't protect the most vulnerable among us, then we are a very primitive place indeed. So Roe versus Wade was very much taking the right of legislation from the states and putting it into the hands of the justices, which is very undemocratic. What people don't realize is the American states have been positioning themselves for a post-Roe era, and abortion will be greatly restricted or outlawed. It could be anywhere from 25 to 30 states almost instantly. Abortion will still be available because, again, the matter will return to the states, but it will be restricted in many and to the few where it will still be readily available. It'll put more pressure on them to provide abortion services, and whether they can do that or not is another story. Undoubtedly, there'll be a ripple effect uh, that will sweep around the world. Uh, In Australia, where we have, as so many describe, the worst laws in the world around abortion, abortion right up to birth uh, for virtually any reason, any thoughts here, Camille, on what effects there might be uh, in Australia? Uh, whether you've thought through that issue, uh, there you are in the UK these days, but uh, what are your thoughts for how that ripple effect might affect uh, the way people think about abortion here on our shores in Australia? Well, that's an interesting point that Australia and the United States, while Roe is still around, are far more liberal in their abortion laws than Europe. It's astounding. In this area, Europe is very conservative, which is unusual because they tend to be more the, on the left of center side. 
But when it comes to abortion, I think they're highly restricted after the first trimester. In Australia and the United States, it's much more wide open. But see, Australia does decide this issue at the state level, which is where America is heading. So how is it going to affect the issue of life and abortion in Australia? I believe a couple things. It's going to, shall we say, encourage and embolden pro-life forces uh, within the nation. But I think also, at the same time, if revival comes, and I believe revival is coming, and that's part of what we will discuss in the Understanding the Times tour, and this is, uh, apart from the coming of Jesus, this is our greatest hope we've got yet, and that with revival, that's going to cause, shall we say, a renewal on the sanctity of life, as it ought to be, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of family. All these things will benefit when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. So it just could be interesting timing to have abortion restrictions in America at the very same time that a move of God is on the way. Even to the point where some might be hearing you suggest maybe that an overturning of that law could even be a trigger for revival because, as you say, in emboldening a pro-life voice is really, and I know this is the way I think a lot of Americans see this, if it is overturned, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it'll be like an answer to prayers and God has not forgotten our prayers around the uh, the life of the innocent unborn so we're uh, quite significant so far as that the way that the church responds uh, if there is a trigger to revival the way that the church thinks about love for mothers and love for children love for the unborn any thoughts here around the churches and the effects of the changing law and even a trigger for revival well the church should be front and center in all these things, especially with revival, but also standing up for what is right. I think the days of just leaving it all up to the politicians to make the decisions for us and basically run our lives, that could be coming to an end. And that couldn't happen a moment too soon. Abby Johnson, she's known for the movie Unplanned, which was advertised in the Vision Word for Today. I've seen it myself. Abby Johnson was a Christian working for Planned Parenthood, I believe it was, and she uh, thought she was helping women out. And then when she actually saw the ultrasounds, that changed everything. But Abby Johnson was interviewed on Flashpoint, which is a great public affairs program similar to 2020. And I'll never forget what she said. If the churches during the period of Roe versus Wade had just lifted their voices, the chances of having abortion in the United States would have been greatly diminished. But she alleges that the churches were silent, or mostly silent, on sanctity of life and protection for the unborn, and that's why Roe versus Wade lasted for 50 years and, and you know, resulted in 65 million abortions. So she places the blame on the church, but she places the hope on the church that as it starts fighting for the unborn and fighting 
for marriage and family and for whatever all the other things that the church stands for, we can see things turning a corner. And that's, of course, part of what I'm going to suggest or advocate as I come on tour. Turning the corner. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from David in Cairns in North Queensland. Hi, David. Welcome. Good morning. Um, Just regarding the monarchy, I'm not English, but... um I like the idea of an independent, neutral third umpire whose decision will always be let the people decide. And, you know, that goes above politics, same as one's faith. You decide. It's not forced upon you. And also, that I think um, Betty and her dad have been very anti-colonial in their reigns. Um, you know, if the people want independence, hey, they've got it. And just looking at Australia's history, um, back to 75 and other countries proclaiming independence, they're going to be a republic. Let's look at historical fact on how that's turned out for them. So, yes, I'm a monarchist. (laughs) Okay. David, good thoughts there. Camille, your thoughts for David? Well, what can I say but amen. That's very well spoken. David, you were indicating, you know, you could see a time of upheaval coming in various nations uh, that decide to uh, buck the trend and uh, perhaps leave uh, the monarchy and uh, pursue republicanism. Uh, the the sorts of changes, the sorts of challenges that might be with that. Uh, Camille, what are your predictions uh, for people who, you know, for nations that might be deciding to uh, to move along a republican track? What They do have a lot to lose, don't they? They have a lot to lose. I can't stress it enough. When I wrote a paper in 1999, I was staggered what was at stake. It was more than just a cosmetic replace queen with the word president. It was far greater than that. What happens is you upset the balance of power politically, and that in itself is destabilizing. There will be power grabs by people who now are not restrained anymore by the apolitical crown. And then there's issues of one's relationship with the outside world. Remember, the Commonwealth, which is one of the Queen's greatest accomplishments, she has successfully decolonialized the British Empire into a very, very beloved association of 54 nations representing billions of people of every kind of race, Uh, She's been an amazing decolonizer. That's why we were bemused when an American student at Oxford wanted to remove the Queen's photo in the student lounge because her photo might remind people of colonialism. (laughs) And yet she's the one that gave the the nations of the British Empire their independence. So, no, uh, sorry, they're pinning pinning that tail on the wrong horse, basically. But no, for Australia... To consider a republic, they need to consider what will and who will they put in the queen's place or the king's place, and is it going to make the country any better? Is it going to deliver stable domestic politics that we've enjoyed for over a hundred and some years, 121 years to be exact, Uh, Is it going to help improve life in the nation and 
just so many things to consider, and all the changes in the Constitution. That you don't want to fiddle with the foundations of a building because in a quake, that building can come down. So let's use some reason and some study up on the issue before we go for the latest fad or trend, which in this case would be government mandated because there's no groundswell of support for Republic among the population. Okay, thank you so much for your call, David. Let's take another call. Mike is in Tasmania. Hi, Mike, welcome. Hi. Um, I listen to Queen Elizabeth's Christmas message annually, and she always mentions the Lord Jesus, even as her personal faith. And um, if Charles, if Princess Charles or William can't ascend the throne for whatever reason, Harry is next in line until William's children um, come of age. It's interesting uh, in talking about that succession line. Uh, Camille, a thought or two for Mike? Look, I appreciate Mike's comments, but I would say that would not be the case. The succession goes from Charles to William, William to George, George to Charlotte, Charlotte to Louis, Louis to Harry. Harry is not next in the line to the throne he's been pushed down because his brother has had children so there may be a regency but though the succession has is has put put harry i think is number six <laughs> in the line so yeah I, I don't think we have anything to worry about on that one Mike, thanks so much for your call. And running short of time, Camille, and I'm surprised we didn't get a call or two, certainly along the lines of what you'll often be called to uh, get into uh, so far as Bible prophecy, because what we're talking about here is all of the sorts of things that can upset the power balances in the world. A lot of people will think, uh, you know, there's upsets that go on with uh, Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, there's all sorts of challenges going on left, right and centre. The times are a changing quite substantially. I wonder if uh, you've got an encouragement for listeners around how they might see these changes. You're talking about turning the corner, but how Bible prophecy might fit into some of these things. And only a few minutes left in our conversation, but a quick thought or two around that? Well, I believe we should always be viewing things and world events with a biblical perspective and that includes prophecy i don't want to ascribe prophetic significance to every kind of world event because that isn't always the case though many world events could follow under a general prophetic trend having said that whether it's russia and ukraine the, there's much that can be said about that event a lot of disinformation, a lot of lack of clarity about why on earth there's a war going on in the first place. And even though it would seem like an open and shut case of who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, it gets really complicated when it comes to that particular issue because you're dealing with old entities anyway, the Russian nation, and, and which began in Kiev apparently, is over a thousand years old. So, yeah, what I would just say is we believe in prophecy. We believe it's good for the church. It's good for the world. We should always juxtaposition what we see in the world today and whether it lines up with prophecy 
and let's be mature and balanced in our interpretation. But remember the purpose of prophecy is it's a light that shines in a dark place. That's 2 Peter 1.19. We need that light, Neil, more than ever in these change-filled, crisis-riddled days in which we live. Well, Dr. Camille Majdali, he will be back on Australian soil during September and October for his eighth Understanding the Times National Tour. The tour is going to be called Turning the Corner, Bringing Clarity in Confusing Times. And uh, for listeners who want to connect with Dr. Camille Majdali, you can at his website, teachallnations.org.au. And now the Turning the Corner, Bringing Clarity in Confusing Times, uh, Understanding the Times Tour, you'll be able to monitor the Vision website. And uh, as things start to warm up, so far as the tour goes, you'll be able to get details there on vision.org.au so check the website for details and I'm not sure all those details are there up and going yet but they certainly will be in the coming days. Hey uh, Camille sometimes uh, you're releasing a new book around an Understanding the Times tour. Is there anything in the pipeline we might be excited about? Well I have a couple of books that I'm feverishly getting edited though they will be ready for the tour. One is called God's Secret Place, Understanding Psalm 91, going from overwhelmed to overcoming. Or or actually, uh, yeah, unshakable. (laughs) From overwhelmed to unshakable. And the other one is about Ruth and Esther and the power of faith. So those are two books I have. I'm working on a third one, called Reset and Revival, but it's not clear whether it'd be ready in time for the tour. But yes, Psalm 91 and Ruth and Esther, the power of faith, we trust will be available at the time of the tour. And more than a dozen books from Dr. Camille Majdali, you can find those in the Vision store. Simply go to vision.org.au, you'll find a link there for the store, and you can find the books that are available and the teaching resources from Dr. Camille Majdali. If you go to the tan.org.au website, you can subscribe to the Issachar Teaching e-letter and receive an update regularly. Uh, No doubt lots of listeners will be looking forward to seeing you in the flesh and uh, on those uh, online hybrid experiences uh, for the Understanding the Times Tour. Uh, Camille Majdali, thanks so much for staying up into the early hours of the morning in the UK to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Pleasure, Neil. God bless Australia, and thank you very much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.